And this, my friends, is how we should view our faith. Something small and indestructible that will blossom into the everlasting love of the universe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me is my co-host, Alan. Hello there. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspective on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we have a third person in the booth. Uh, if you remember back in May, we had our Intersections Roundtable, and since then, we've had Bonnie on in July, which was great, and Casey's joining us today. Casey is the... Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Casey's the lead pastor of Loomis Basin UCC, and he is, which will give you a hint into our topic today, is a certified Enneagram instructor, and uh, we... We're going to we're going to jump into the fold. If you've listened to any podcast I feel like in our in our niche whether it's the liturgist or I mean pick one, the Enneagram has been mentioned. People on their Twitter profiles, they have their numbers and their wings and their whatever and they wear shirts and stuff. I know yeah, some <laughs> I actually have a shirt. I should have worn my shirt. Hey. Nice. Uh, so we are we're going to talk about that and Casey's going to walk us through and we're going to maybe get a little vulnerable, maybe get a little I don't know, whatever the term is, real, 100%. Well, we're going to keep it 100? I don't know. Keep it 100. I need and to I think stop particu- trying to be Particularly. <laughs> don't be hip. Particularly. All those gonna... words, real, vulnerable, all of those are great uh, words for the Enneagram and definitely for your guys' type. So we will definitely <laughs> talk about that today. Yeah, Casey has all of our info, so it's going to be fun. Uh, right, right. looking at that. And also, why? Why? Why does you know, progressive culture in general, Christians really latch on to stuff like the Enneagram. So it's going to be great to hear from that too. And absolutely. And for our segment this week, we are going to be, since we have a brand new guest, we want to get to know them a little bit. We're going to do a little, another round of Jesus juke and see where that takes us for our segment. So uh, let's, let's get into this. This is a funny story is that uh, recently, Casey and I got to hang out and we were at this restaurant that had, uh, hands down, I think one of the worst servers in the history of the world. And, Absolutely. uh, <laughs> Absolutely. we were talking in a Enneagram and, uh, you mentioned something like, I think you said something like, you're a total two. And, the waiter overheard that and thought that he was talking about like rating my looks on a scale of one to ten. That's right. I think that was also around the same time that he flicked the wasp off of your plate. That's right. I had a wasp, a deep fried wasp in my French fries and he just flicked it onto my lap and it fell onto the floor. And uh, yeah, I was in awe. <laughs> well, at least he was willing to give you an eight, Jeff. You know, I know. You that's right. He eight. said he said at least an eight. And then he, he kept rubbing my shoulder after that. So. Hey. I'm I'm particular about my physical space with people I don't know, and uh, that was violated on. To many be fair, friends. I'm willing to go with him <laughs> on the eighth, just so you know. Oh, thanks. Oh, that's Aww. so sweet of you. Look at this. Putting the show I notes. Love when, my I love picture when on hot or not. Start rating each other. It's, it's very, it's very insightful. Is it Casey? <laughs> All right, Casey, lead us lead us through this, like. What what is the Enneagram? What attracted you to it in the first place? And uh, give us kind of a basic rundown for maybe someone who has never heard of it. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you that maybe have done the Myers Briggs, it's sort of like that. It's a it's a personality type test, right? And a lot of times the Myers Briggs is used in work settings to help you try to navigate how you work best in a group. I think that the Enneagram is a little different. I would say it's a lot more soul work than it is um, just sort of knowing the box in which you live. Uh, I think the Enneagram is more about noticing the box in which you live and trying to find your way, not necessarily out of it, but notice that it is the box in which you live and how do you live in it and work through it, right? I think that for a lot of progressive Christians, they're using this because for so many of us, the word sin has become such a terrible word, right? It's tarnished. And for many of us who have experienced the oppression of evangelicals telling us that we're sinners, we've kind of wanted to get away from all of that. And so what I think the Enneagram does is it allows us to notice our egos or our shadow selves. It's the places in which we can't really see ourselves well. The way that I talk about sin is anything that separates you from God, neighbor, and self. And I think that that's exactly what the ego does. 
it sets us apart. And so if you live with a certain lens from whatever type you are, um, and we'll get into that in a minute, it's the lens in which you see, but that lens is uh, it wears off. It gets old, right? Just like all of us that wear glasses. Over time, that lens no longer works for us. And so this helps us to notice the lens in which we see the world and helps us to see that there are nine other types. So the Enneagram has nine types, and there are three different centers in which uh, you formulate. So that is the heart center, the gut center, and the head center. And today, we'll be talking a lot about the heart center because we all live in the heart center. So nines or eight nines and ones are our gut types. They work from their instinct, just that visceral response. Heart types are two, three, and four. And then head types are five, six, and seven. That's kind of the foundation of the Enneagram. I can go through what each type is called if you guys would like. You know, like um, I, ones I, are... Go ahead. I'd like that. I'd like that. Um, but I also want to uh, also ask you and kind of go back... I don't know if we're supposed to talk about this later, but talking about how we've looked at the self as sinful and and that kind of thing from our past, understanding yourself and you know evangelical circles being a negative thing. You know, they quoted Proverbs a lot: "The heart is desperately wicked; who can know it?" And it was less about getting to understand yourself and more about suppressing anything you find there and definitely conforming to an ideal. And the Enneagram sounds like it's more of a understand yourself like however however you're operating whether it's under stress or not or your shadow self versus other stuff just understand it and hold that's right well and and i think that 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 you're right alan it's it's about understanding yourself and acknowledging where your hang-ups are right that and that's the difference i believe between the myers-briggs and the enneagram the myers-briggs says know yourself and be be happy with that the enneagram says acknowledge that this is the place that you may get caught up it, it's an awakening to yourself. And I would, and I often tell people, um, if you're not ready for transformation in your life, the Enneagram is not for you. Because the moment that you come awake to some of this, it's almost embarrassing. I don't know how it was for you guys when you got your results. Uh, but I remember sitting with my partner, Jose, and as we're reading aloud, our Enneagram types, we're snickering at each other. Because we're like, oh my gosh, you're so busted. This is totally you, you know? And so uh, that was my first experience of the Enneagram is when I could see on paper for the first time, A, that I wasn't alone, that, you know, this, it wasn't like this was specifically tailored to me. And yet it's, it was, it was tailored to me. It was my darkest thoughts, my darkest wonderings, and all of the stuff that the ego says to me. So pretty interesting. And we've we've often lamented on this show the 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 our upbringing in evangelicalism and all that kind of stuff and then talking about how much damage the idea of total depravity as human beings. And I was always growing up, we were told uh too many people they're worried about self-esteem. They should have Christ esteem, you know that whole oh, stupid Lord. line. Oh, I've heard that from the <laughs> Yeah, several times. So I think that I think that that does, you know, resonate with a lot of post-evangelical progressives who were never really invited to search their own heart it was always like god search my heart so it was this kind of you know whatever it never really amounted to anything except for guilt and shame and hiding and in going into that idea of like self-judgment right because it is a judgment but like more of the the biblical idea of judgment which is not like a, a condemnation but a revelation right like putting your stuff out there so that you can then sort through it and uh well, yeah so and i'd really like to i'd like to explore that more um after we go through the types because I think that idea of judge and shame um, really also plays into your type as a two. Both mm-hmm. of you are twos, which I think is super interesting. And I'm a four. And so we all live in that heart center. And how we navigate love is really different. And yet, for all of us, one of the thing that one of the things we struggle with is shame and rejection, especially as people who come from an evangelical world. I think that we we bought into that so much more as twos and fours because we wanted to be people pleasers. We wanted to be people who were who were seen as loyal and loving and we gave our entire souls away, literally. This <laughs> and got so, real real fast. I know, right? Oh I feel God. like I feel like we've right. reached the top of that clicking hill before roller coaster. So now <laughs> Casey just guide us through the rest of the ride. <laughs> All right. We'll just go in order one through nine. So ones are the good people. They're, they're the good person. They are idealistic. They are high minded. They're very conscientious. 
And one of the things that they struggle with is seeing things as good. You know, a lot of our ego messages come from what we saw in the world um, had failed us. So, for example, the God says it is good. The world is good. Ones would say the world is not good enough and it is my job to make it good. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It is sort of a response. Um, our ego message is a response to some of these things. They're like and the so, peacemaker or something like that. And, and well, do, do you want to say that it's on a circle? Because I think for people listening, yes, they, that's maybe right. having that image Maybe helps. we can put that in the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's on a circle and there are connecting lines. And those connecting lines talk about your integrated self and your disintegrated self. I mean, this we're doing an hour podcast, so... I could come on and talk more about, you know, the disintegration and integration lines. Um, but I just want to sort of get the lay of the land today. Right. And we will um, we will put that in the show notes. So based off of Casey's recommendations, we'll make sure that there's a list of resources in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 27 if you really want to explore further the things that are talking about. So we're hitting bullet points and then we're going to get into some personal stuff. But if you really want to go in depth, as usual, we will make sure that there are links provided in the show notes, irenacast.com slash 127. Right. And so um, for the the struggling one or the less resourceful one, the less awake one will struggle with not being right. They want to be right. And they they can go to being super moralistic, which is also a thing that fours and twos would struggle with. Um, moralism, because because we have connection to one. Twos are the loving person, which is you, both of you. I would identify both of you as super loving, um, especially Alan, the big teddy bear. Um, <laughs> They are definitely attuned to others' needs. They are supportive. They are nurturing. They are warm. They are gentle, friendly. But when they are, when they are feeling tired, stressed out, they can be compulsive. They can move to anger very quickly. I don't know how many times either of you have said this, but I've definitely heard two say things like, for all I've done for them, they are so ungrateful. Um, that's like my mantra. I'm pretty sure that's like, <laughs> there you go. There I, you think, go. I think it depends. One thing that was interesting, Jeff and I are twos, but we have different wings. So I wing to one and he wings to three. And in the two wing one, it's more, I think more of a society wide altruistic type or something like that. And so yeah, I think but for I, me, I, I, I do get angry at like systems and I don't know. I, I, it has happened before. Right. So uh, a part of, a part of the two, um, those lines of of disintegration, you connect to eight, which eights are the champions of justice, but they also um, have lots of anger issues. And so uh, I think someone in my family is an eight that I've and I've always kind of said like they seem like my dark side or my shadow side yes, or like that's right. I see things in them that I don't like about myself. And then once I took the diagram, I was like, Wow, I'm just judgmental of other people because it's not bad to be an eight. It's just who you right. are. That's and like, right. I was judging someone else only because I go to that personality type when I'm under stress. And as a four in my stress, I go to two. And so I often the the type that I struggle with the most are twos because I see so much of my own. Um, can we cuss on this podcast? You can. <laughs> we may edit it out, but that's okay. just for. All right. I love well, I see too. so much of my own shit in twos, right? And so. Um, well, welcome to Irenicast, and- hosted by two twos. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So there it is. Then uh, the next style is three, the the effective person. So if God created the earth in seven days, threes would say, I could have done it in five. You know, they are efficient. They are productive. They are enthusiastic and motivated people, and they are very efficient. And so a lot of times, if you want something done, you ask a three to get it done. I currently have this amazing new church member. She's a three, and she hammers out work like nobody's business. I mean, she does circles around me while holding another job. And so I'm just so grateful for the energy of the three. But in their own less resourceful place, they can become preoccupied with their image and focus too much on what others expect of them. They want to be admired um, for their accomplishments and performance. So a lot of times when you ask a three, you know, who are you? They're not going to tell you the soul stuff. They're going to tell you what they do. Because for them, who they are is what they do. Even though they're a heart heart type, right? That's right. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. 
Uh, then there's the four, the original person. That would be me. We are creative. Uh, we value creativity, authenticity, individuality. We have an appreciation for the quality and of life. We are deeply sensitive. We are very nostalgic. And we want the world to be beautiful and have meaning and purpose. And we are very, if I didn't say it before, let me repeat, we are very unique and special. <laughs> the one and only Casey. <laughs> that is for sure. But also in our less resourceful self, we can be overly sensitive. We can be uh, sensitive to the idea of abandonment um, or left out or misunderstood. Because if you're super unique and special, no one can truly understand you, right? We are prone to melancholy and envy. And I really would like to get to the envy part later because I think a lot of people think that envy is like of things, but for fours, it's not necessarily about material things. It's about lived experience, the things that we um, maybe wish we had or the things we long to return to. Mm. So if you're four and a middle child, then you're just like set up for issues because <laughs> you feel special. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Fives are the wise person. They are intellectuals. They value truth and have the natural ability to both analyze the essence of things and synthesize the big picture. They want to understand the world and make it more enlightened. The problem with fives when they are in their le their less resourceful place, they become overly intellectual. They're out of touch with their feelings. They're out of touch with uh, the people around them. I know lots of fives who sort of live in their head and you can sort of be in a room with them and you know that they're not there. They're, you know, they're 10 miles away. They are very withdrawn and self-sufficient because they're looking to protect themselves and they do not want to be bothered, <laughs> which is another interesting five thing. They do not want intruders. They don't want to be bothered. I would say one of their biggest things is um, they're sort of miserly. They want to hold on to their knowledge and their own personal space. Sixes, the loyal person. Uh, my partner is a six. They are law-abiding. They are dutiful. Uh, they are honorable, faithful, responsible, dedicated, courageous, um, which is also a funny thing about sixes because in their less resourceful place, they are not courageous. They're fearful. That is the message that they're constant pl constantly playing. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Um, we all have fear, but I would say that sixes carry the market on fear in the Enneagram. They are the ones who read the directions. They know where every exit is. They have a fire extinguisher and a first aid kit in their trunk. They're ready to go with extra bottles of water in case a natural disaster happens. These are those kinds of folks. So my, my current partner that um, I've been seeing for a while is a six also. And what's cool about that is like, the attention to detail like actually translates into hard work <laughs> in a way that's just like kicks butt. It's kind of cool. That's to right. See. My partner is a definite overachiever without having to be because he is so or or uh, detail oriented. But what they struggle with, their less resourceful place tells them that they have to check in with others. You know, their their ego message says you are OK or fine if you're doing what's expected of you. And so the real struggle for sixes is to find their own inner voice and to adhere to that and not to the voices of the people that they trust around them. Hmm. Ooh, did that get deep? Sixes yeah, out there, I want to hear from you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sevens are the joyful people. They are the party folks, lively, cheerful. Um, they have a natural ability to find the good in everything, and they want to make the world a more enjoyable place. These are the kinds of people that when you're at their house at a barbecue, drinking beer, having a good time, are the ones telling you about the next party that they're going to throw. And they're also doing 50 things at once. If you ask them, oh, what are you up to? They're going to tell you about three projects that they're working on and their PTA meeting and their soccer for their kids. I mean, they're doing all of these things and they can be exhausting. But in their less resourceful place, they can exaggerate their fun. They avoid pain uh, big time because that's that's sort of their way of protecting themselves. If we keep everything happy and light, we don't have to touch on the hard things of life. While they seek excitement and pleasure, they may avoid the hard work and suffering that they often that often goes along with actually completing the projects that they have begun. So they'll start things and won't finish them. Next are the powerful people, the eights. 
I really love eights. Um, Raj, who uh, was on the Intersections podcast with us, is an eight. And I love him because eights are strong. They are fair. And they have the ability to get things done with the use of power. They are direct and energetic, confident and assured. And they stand up for the underdog and want to eliminate injustice in the world. All the eights I know when they channel their energy are probably the most just and courageous people I know because they do not back down from a fight. But those eights that I know that are living in their less resourceful places become overly controlling, aggressive, and vengeful. And they may seek to dominate others and have difficulty with compassion. Eights, when they walk into a room, you'll know an eight because they just sort of take up the room. You know, they just sort of demand your presence. And they'll also be the ones who may become super aggressive. So uh, I remember sitting at a table with a six. Someone at another table said, I'm an eight. And the six leaned over and said, danger, danger, right? Just whispered to me, danger, danger. For sixes, eights can be really overwhelming because of the energy that they can bring into a room. The last type is the nine, the peaceful person. Their approach to life is, hey, it's all good, acceptance. They are diplomatic and can allow people and events to just unfold at their own pace. They're not trying to force anything into the world. They're calm and inclusive, and they want to make the world a more harmonious place. Um, oh, nines that, are that's really the peacemaker. I think I said a one was, but it's nine, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Okay. Nines are the peaceful people. But in their less resourceful place, they can be passive. They can lose their own point of view and avoid taking a stand on anything. And they may put off important activities and get lost in the unimportant distractions. One of the ways that I like to talk a lot about nines is that they go to sleep on their lives in their less resourceful place. And that goes from like just not dealing or confronting the pain or struggle in their life or conflict. I mean, for some, I have a really close friend of mine who literally I know when he's super stressed because he'll come over to our house and just fall asleep on my couch. He'll just literally go to sleep on his life. Nines are wonderful. They are the peaceful people. And yet sometimes if they're not awake to themselves, they can just sort of fall asleep on everything that's happening around them. So that's that's the Enneagram. Those are the nine types. Um, any thoughts or so b- before we move yeah. forward, I yeah. have a question because I think that this is this is one of the things that has bothered me, not just about the Enneagram, but personality tests in general. I've always been adverse to them, like just kept them at arm distance. And, and I don't mean to diminish the Enneagram by just labeling it a personality test. Uh, but that's anyway. Anyway, that's um, what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> it's what it is. Uh, so how when especially when you become so knowledgeable like i mean casey you know so much about all this how do you prevent from making assumptions about who people are when you know so much about the types and then it it must be hard to balance because as soon as you meet someone you maybe start like running through the numbers in your head and then how do you how do you prevent like really appreciating someone for who they are inst- first before jumping to trying to figure out their number Exactly. That's one of the big things that we push against uh, when we teach the Neagram is not to type people because you're then putting them in a box that maybe they wouldn't put themselves in. And you're also working from a place of uh, putting them in a box. For example, when I first learned the Enneagram, I was super turned off by it because uh, the person who taught it to me uh, was my advisor in my internship. And he was continuing to tell me, oh, you're a two, you're a two. Oh, you're just being a two. And as I read through the Enneagram, I was like, quite frankly, I don't love people that much. Like, I'm not that kind of person. Uh, and so um, it felt really awkward to me when he would con- when he would say, oh, you're just being a two. And so it really stifled my desire to learn any more about the Enneagram because, well, if you have me figured out, then what do I need to do any more research, right? But then when I came back to the Enneagram and had a different person teach it to me and I found that I was a four, it made so much more sense. And so I would say to anybody who is um, getting into the Enneagram or who is learning it for the first time, be very mindful about how you use this tool because you don't want to put somebody in a box, A, for their own sake. You don't know their heart's desire. You don't know what the ego message in them is. You're just seeing whatever behaviors or patterns that they're playing out for you. But really, it's your own heart that you have to answer. 
But also, you don't want to do that because then you're missing out on the whole person. You're missing out on the full story. Right. I think um, it's important in all of these personality tests, whether it's Meyer Bri- Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, to know what they don't say. Enneagram doesn't say everything about a person. None of these personality tests do. Like, I can't tell whether someone is, okay, capable at a certain task just by what number they're on, what, what number they are. Like, they may not have had the life experience or the education or the learning that prepares them to be, I don't know, like you might say a nurse would be a really good, or a, a number six would be a really good nurse because they're dedicated, loyal, and hardworking. But you can be a six and not be hardworking. You can be a six That's and right. not like That's actually right. really care about other people or like not want to. So I, I think keeping in mind what they don't say is really good. And also for me, I, I'm new to the Enneagram and I appreciate Casey like really working with me through it. I took Myers-Briggs in my marriage and it was good for me just to have language to talk about myself and talk about someone else, even if that language never fully lined up. It was it was a good t- you said tool I think at one point like this, this absolutely test is a tool yeah this is a tool to use. yeah I uh, Alan I really want to affirm that because for my partner and I when we when we took the enneagram together it really opened up for us a new conversation almost a new relationship because we both for fours and sixes we both come to the world with fear for Jose he's like Chicken Little right I mean the sky is always falling. And for fours, it's about our own worlds crumbling. <laughs> so he's worried about like actual physical things happening. And I'm just worried about things that may potentially happen in my life. And so fear in terms of how we talk about fear together was really helpful because it gave us ways to talk about, you know, how we navigate our relationship, how we navigate moving forward, because I'm always thinking about what's next. I'm always riding in the air. And he's always freaking out about that because for him, he's worried that it's going to actually happen, you Mm. know? And it gives you language. Like you said, it gives you ways to say. And to me, it's like, this is language for relationships. Are there typical pairings? Like are there there numbers that tend to gravitate Mm. towards each other? So So that's a real... So people will say like, so what are the two best types to be in relationship? And I say healthy types. Like as long as you're working on your shit and doing your hard work, no matter what type you are, you're going to be great to be with because you're aware of yourself. You know your patterns. You're able to express, you know, what you need or how you're going to navigate through your, your stuff, you know, but if you're working through your stuff and your partner isn't, that's a, that's a heavy load to carry, you know, regardless of what number you are, regardless right. of what number you are. Yeah, absolutely. So you seem, I think that's helpful. Yeah, it is. And I think, and I appreciate your emphasis on the fact that, you know, your personality type is not static, right? Like that's you right. move into different areas depending upon what, where, where you are in the world. And then, how much you're doing your own personal self-care and self-work. So it doesn't like there's like you were saying before with the Myers-Briggs, it doesn't accept this is what you are. This is what you'll always be, but there's some, there's some fluid motion in there. And I think that that's to me, what is a little bit more encouraging about this is because I feel like it's easy just to get stuck in a place and then, you know, whatever numbers, like I'm ABG, whatever the letters are for the other (laughs) one. And that's just who I am. And you have to deal with it, you know? And, and I like that there's, you know, wings or well, explain wings. So that's right. So uh, before, is, before we move to wings, what I want to say is the invitation of the Enneagram is to say, you have one lens in which you have seen the world forever. And, you, and this is a defense mechanism, right? I mean, your ego was formed out of a way of survival as a child. And so you have used this defense mechanism your entire life. And so the invitation is to notice the eight other uh, numbers around you and find a way to navigate them. It's like this lens in which you're seeing the world is old and faulty. So try a different lens on, you know, especially in problem solving. If you're coming to something in your work where there's lots of conflict, you can say, well, where do, where do I need to be in this? Should I put on the nine lens and allow there to be peace? And how do I tap into that peaceful place? Or do I put on the nine, the eight lens and, and stand up for justice and speak truth to whatever powers I need to? Or if you're a, a head type and you need to get out of your head and connect to your heart, how do I do that? Where, what resources do twos, do twos have that I can reach for? So it's really 
noticing that, that you're not living in a world of scarcity. There's an abundance all around you, uh, that you, that you're able to tap into. And you just have to be able to be aware enough to know that you need a different lens, you know? And before, uh, so before we get um, into talking, wings, can you tell us, Casey, if someone's listening to I'm just thinking about a, a, a listener right now. If there's a listener who wants to go with you on the wings and stuff and look through it, is there a website they can get this test and take it for themselves? Right. So that yeah, so the I would I would definitely um, I always suggest a paid test because you're going to get more information. The website that I use is WEPSS dot com. That test was created by the man that I learned the Enneagram from, Jerry Wagner. He's wonderful, brilliant. He's been doing this. This is his life's work. Um, and he's a five. So you know it's been done well and thoroughly researched, right? That's where I would go. And, and it will also give you your wing and tell you more about that. So when we talk about wings, so if you, whatever number you are, so for Alan and Jeff, um, you're a two, your number is two. So on the right side of you, you would have one. And on the left side of you, you would have three. So those are what we would call your wings. And you will often lean to one side stronger than the other. I lean to one. Jeff leans to three. Absolutely. The tests say. Right. And I'm a four. And so uh, five and three on either side of me. And I lean towards three. I don't even know what my five wing looks like. That's a lot of work for me. You know, that was a major revelation I've had in the last year and a half is how do I get to that five place? Because wings really are sort of like if you're paddling in a boat. I'm kayaking now. That's like a new thing that I've taken up. And if I'm only kayaking on one side, I'm just going in circles, right? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over. Over. That's and right. Expecting, and expecting a different, different result. result. And so if you're only using that one wing, that one resource, it's like just using the one lens of the Enneagram. You're just going in circles. And so the invitation is to tap into that other wing so that you can row forward. Ooh, that was so deep. <laughs> but, um, uh, and so I really have been trying to find in myself that five place that loves isolation, that is interested in knowledge. Uh, w- one of my mentors in the Enneagram asked me, well, you know, where are you miserly? And I was like, I'm not miserly. There was like a wall that was thrown up. But then I began to realize, yeah, maybe I am. Or maybe I need to find a place where I can be a little miserly, a little greedy with my time or my energy or not always have to speak to every topic. Um, and really allow myself to sit back, listen, and learn. So every type has a wing, and you just have to figure out which of those wings you lean heavily on and try to reach for the other. And they flavor you, right? So Jeff and Alan are both twos, but Alan has that one wing, which definitely makes him a different personality than than Jeff. And also, there's other, there's another layer, and that is your sexual self, your social self, and your self-preservation self. So they're called, it's called a stack. And those three things also flavor your personality. That would take so much more time to, to talk about. But I mean, these are all labor, layers and flavors of, of who you are as a person. Right. Well, do we really have to like work on the other wing? Because I mean, for the show, if I'm wing three and Alan's wing one, it just balances it out and it keeps us moving forward. As long as you have the right team. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. But I think you're missing out, right? We miss out on those other flavors that could help us. Like I was saying before, with being being a four with that three wing, I lean so heavily on my three wing that sometimes I think I'm I'm blurring into just becoming a three. I mean, you can't really do that. But because I value efficiency, I I love being a pastor. I mean, being a pastor is so important to me. And so I often, when people, you know, ask, what what's your name? I'm Pastor Casey. But that's a part of that three image stuff. That's how I want to be seen. That's how I want to be known. And I'm so is is a wing super- is wing sort of like a projection or like a like a desire that that's what you really want to be or that's what you're striving for? I think or is that just an element of it? Circle you land closer to a three on the circle that's, than just a two. That's right. It's it's just what flavors you. It's just sort of where you've went. And I think that's um, why you two connect. Is Jeff took all the tests and he's like borderline three, like very close, right? Right, Jeff. Right, you did that many times. And so I think that's why you guys connect anyway. Yeah. And, and, but for five, I mean, the five wing in me is so, it's so different. 
because it's also in the head type. Fives are introverted head types, most of them. And fours are drama queens and oftentimes, you know, are a little more out there. And so going into my head and spending so much time there, any more than I already do would be overwhelming for me. But I think it's just finding ways to tap into that five place that allow me to be more miserly with my time and information that could be good. I can be an overshare. So if I'm not reading wrong, like wings kind of tell you where in a two range you fit. Because like in some twos, you're a little closer to a one. You're a little closer yeah, to a sure. three. Yeah, sure. If that's the way you need to look at it. Yeah, right. absolutely. So for me, I'm a little closer to a one, but just barely. I'm like right on the two. The thing that was most, I think, helpful for me, and you can help me out, Casey, in seeing this, is the lines that move away from the two. So like in my stress, I'll go to an eight. But in my health, I'll actually go to where you're at, a four, I think. That's right. And I'll that's start exactly like, right. so when I'm unhealthy, I'll, I'll like... I'll lay down the law. I'll be like, okay, this needs to be done. Like, you know, um, in moments of stress, I remember, okay, uh, I'm talking to my romantic partner in the car and a dog comes running up, like barking, ready to bite. I just grabbed her, brought her into the the, the car and shut the door in one smooth, smooth motion. I knew what had to happen and I just executed it. And it feels like that that's like an eight thing. And then when I'm more like relaxed and like thinking about my life and less stressed out, I start actually discerning like what do I want what what is about me that like start developing that inner self kind of stuff that I think fours are really good at I love that you said when in your health the thing that you thought was what is about me and I would say that fours would say what isn't about me huh you know um and so yeah that's so true that um You'll notice, Alan, in your when when you're awake to yourself and you're more integrated, you will begin to be more creative. Mm-hmm. You know, your creativity starts flowing. You're able to begin to dream about what your future could look like. Yeah, those are all great qualities of four because that's you get some of the best qualities of four, and you'll get some of our our bad qualities, right? right? I noticed in my I notice in myself when I'm in my more integrated self, I and my health go to one. Is that what the line says or is that That's just... right. So if I am doing my work and I'm I'm taking care of myself, I'm making lists, I'm getting stuff done, I'm I'm double checking, triple checking on what needs how to do it and how to do it right, and I feel so good, you know? But if I'm if I'm not taking care of myself, if I haven't gotten enough sleep, I'm angry, I'm taking all the qualities of two, your worst qualities, and living into them. Oh, those ungrateful people. Oh, nobody appreciates me or cares about what I do. Also, Um, just doing things like just trying to fix situations by just placating other people. Like just doing what you have to do to make sure that they're happy and that's it. Like maybe that's your bad place as opposed to your good place. Well, and twos and also one of the things that twos do is they will just do it for you. Right? So... The joke is, is that twos sometimes know you better than you know yourself. And they will they will basically expect you to do whatever they say because they think that they know you better than yourself. Okay, well now that that stings a little bit. <laughs> I, right? mean, like, I, I went through, you know, marriage and then divorce and all that stuff. And like to be honest, the biggest thing I learned in all of that was I felt like I knew people's needs when I really didn't. Like I feel like they needed something when they, you know, they didn't necessarily need that. It was a weird revelation. And you were so quick to help in ways that you thought you were being helpful, but really that was the last thing that they needed. Right. And if you look at it from a super critical and like a critical perspective, it's almost like twos and their unhealth will create needs in other people in order to fulfill That's right. them. Like the so let me tell you. Stuff. So that is one of the things about twos that, that I tell people to be mindful of is that a lot of times when I'm when I go to lunch with twos or I'm hanging out with twos, I will buy my own stuff, even if they mm. offer. Because for a lot of twos, they create a web. I call it a web. Yeah. It's a web of love. I called it a, let tor- me, a tornado of vortex. Let me, let, me, let me show you how much I love you. Let me do all of these things for you um, to show you that, that I love you. And they don't, want to, they don't want to receive it back. I mean, it's sort of a mixed message mm-hmm. that twos, their, their biggest struggle is pride. They don't want help. They don't want it. Um, but all the while they long to be loved. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Jeff, I just saw. Oh you. man, he just look at the looks on the both side. of your faces. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, that 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 absolutely rings true. As I, I can do it myself, <laughs> uh, for sure. Right, and and how true is that though? 
What do you mean? Like, how true is that statement? Oh, yeah, it's 100% true of me. I mean, Alan could attest, like, you know, I'd, just, that, that, I'd much rather take care of and i think that right. it's interesting because as you're thinking about this i'm thinking in terms of like how layered this is like these aren't choices these are i mean they are choices but these are these are part of our development right like what are, what right. was our family That's dynamic right. and how did it create that kind of thing because i from an early age was independent because of my family situation so it was like i became reliant and it's interesting that that alan and i we probably couldn't have had more different upbringings in terms right. of family but how we still landed in the same spot and then I that probably that determines you, where we wing. wing yeah i think you're wing three and more efficient because of that and i wing one more because i see the goodness or whatever in my family and how i was raised attachment theory is another personality like typing kind of thing like how do you attach to your relationships right. there's like secure attachment anxious attachment you know so there, there's ways to separate that out and that plays into it as well but um i i do think that uh Jeff, you're saying people are shaped early on and that's kind of what goes into your personality. But Casey, I, the one thing I struggle with the most in this is that I have a hard time not judging one type and appreciating another. Cause like for me, you know, health is a four. So I'm like, Oh, fours are awesome. And like my unhealth is an eight. So I'm like, eights are like, you know, belligerent. Cause as I see that in myself. And so I think being able to just recognize that it's not a, it's not a moral thing. It's That's not right. more That's or right. less moral to be a codependent two or an angry eight. Like there's not necessarily morality involved inside of what number you are. Right. But there, so but there is, is can right? I, can I put my pastor hat on? Did you for say a there moment? is, Jeff? There but there is, is like in terms of like a morality hat, like, and I, and I think it all goes back to the health, right? So if you're an eight, there's nothing in, inherently wrong with that. But if in your health you're harming other people, then it, you need to. I think you need to be. Well, Casey, what do you think? But I think you need to be more hyper aware if your natural setting place or natural number has a tendency to hurt more people in the wake of your unhealth than if it didn't. Maybe that's I just my heart. I would say care. I would say that all of the every type has that potential. Um, there's not one type in the Enneagram that doesn't have the potential to harm another. Right? Maybe I'm just revealing my disdain for an eight as well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> See, here we are. I think here you we are. are. So if you're, if you're, but, there's sevens um, out there. I mean, there. because look, I mean, outward aggression. I mean, this is when we think of Dr. King writing the letter from Birmingham. He wasn't. He wasn't attacking the angry eight clansmen. He was attacking the complicit nine pastors in Birmingham. Absolutely right. Who were who? Who he said I would much rather deal with the Klansmen than deal with you. Right. Because but to be complicit. fair, I have equal animosity towards nines as well. It, right. people, <laughs> <laughs> and I should clarify that it, when it's, when it's expressed unhealthily, like those, right. those unhealthy expressions so it's the same, really it's the trigger same idea me. that we were saying about all of them. What is, what is the best and worst type? Well, the best and worst type is the worst type is any type that is unhealthy and choosing not to do their work, choosing not to notice their shadow and get the help they need. And what's the best type? Any type who's willing to acknowledge their shit and work through it. Yep. I'm telling you, I think the greatest spiritual gift anyone can have is self-awareness. Like it has to start yeah. there. Yeah. It's just, that's right. Yeah. And that's not a negative thing. I mean, like not to get on a soapbox, but I was told the same thing as you, Jeff, uh, Christ esteem, not self-esteem, get to know God, take care of other people. It's, it's actually really sad. I think twos are set up to fail in evangelicalism, at least in, in the ways my church was, because you're praised for all those negative sides of yourself, like the codependent sides. That's people right. will literally right. clap in church because, you know, you're pushing yourself down and helping other people. Can you assign a numbers to systems? Like is evangelicalism an eight yes, or a nine? Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I do it in terms of churches and organizations. So if any of you out there want me to come and teach the Enneagram to any organization or church, I would be happy to do that. But I would say systemic institutions, yeah, absolutely, that you can assign a, a type. So what emergent and churches, so, emergent churches would be like a four. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's really, right. They're really I, Look, I can, I create a pretty amazing emergent worship service because that it totally fits into all of that stuff for me. I love it. You know, that's really interesting. Would would you be willing to diagnose families, Casey, for a fee? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would love that. So and I would love to like sit with families. Uh -huh. I would love to sit with families and talk about like how do you how did you see this all playing out, you know? So um I think that appeals to certain types and not others though, right? Like Oh, absolutely. And that's that's where I wanted to go in terms of talking about um the heart types. So twos, threes, and fours. 
we're willing to go there in a way that none of the other types are because we're not afraid to talk about the deep things that make us vulnerable and or feel pain, especially fours. I would I would say that for fours, one of the things that we bring is a strong emotional t- intelligence. We know ourselves well, very well. And so um, if you really are in a rough, dark place, uh, call your friends who are fours because they know the darkness and they're not afraid to sit in it with you and they have language for it, you know, in a way that like my my partner who's a six, he sort of fear, you know, stays very far from things like that because it's scary. It's scary to go to those dark places. But for fours, it's easy because we know it so well. I mean, Kurt Cobain, a lot of artists are fours and they struggle with suicide and addiction issues. And I think it's because we feel and feel that darkness. We know that darkness within ourselves. And I think that that's also why evangelicalism for fours is a big thing, right? If you're told every, every Sunday, like I was, um, that you're broken and depraved, fours will say, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That speaks to your soul on a weird That's level. right. It speaks right to my soul. Nobody will ever and but on the other side of that, right? How many of us grew up hearing, you are a chosen generation, you are special and unique, and God has a plan and purpose for your life. And oh you're my God, weird fours. And that's good. It's a good thing that you're weird with all your friends. That's mm-hmm. right. It's not because you're overweight and kind of, you know, awkward. It's because Jesus chose you. But for fours, we totally pick up on that. I think for the thing, my unique struggle is too is like so somatic, somatically speaking, like my like bringing into my body all of the stress of systems or other people. I like I internalize that and hold it in my shoulders and in my body. Jews carry the world on their shoulders. There's a lot of internalization, and that's what I mean by I think that twos um, actually love people, where fours we just love ourselves. You know. Which is um, really helpful because you said emotional intelligence. There are different types of emotional intelligence. There's in, in, interpersonal, which I think twos do really well at being an empath, like seeing other people's needs and problems, but we don't really know ourselves. Knowing yourself is a large part of emotional intelligence. There are so many, especially in my experience in counseling, especially men have a hard time articulating what emotions they're feeling. And that actually causes problems in their relationships. If you don't know yourself and you don't absolutely. know what you're feeling, it's so hard to name what's happening in you. And, and, and you know, fours are great at that, being able to have the language of this is what's happening to me. And so I, I like that. Yeah, call your four friend. They'll help, you, uh, <laughs> they'll help you put words to the stuff you're feeling. That's hmm. right. That's right. Well, I mean, I feel like we just scratched the surface, but oh I mean, gosh. this could be like a three hour long episode. <laughs> so, uh, Casey, any closing remarks, anything you really want people to leave with in terms of the Enneagram and, and what might compel them to... Yeah, I, I, we definitely just scratched the surface here, but I, this is what I just want to put my pastor hat on for a moment and talk about why this matters to progressive Christians and why this should matter to everybody. So for me, salvation is about wholeness, the wholeness of life, right? It's being connected to your neighbor, your community, to God and to yourself. And I think that when we talk about who Jesus was and his idea of like, um, I've come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. It's rooted in being able to see yourself more clearly and see yourself connected to the people around you. And that's why the Enneagram matters to me. Because the Enneagram allows me to see the places, my blind spots, my shadow self, the places where I need to grow and develop myself so that I can be more available, not just to God, but also to my neighbor and to myself. And so I would encourage anybody to do that deep dive into the work of the Enneagram and to truly um, notice where it is that you're caught up. Because now that we've had this conversation, Jeff and Alan, hopefully you'll be able to ask for the help that you need. You'll be able to trust that the people in your life who say they love you actually mean it despite what you can offer them. Do you hear that? I hear that. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, no, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Right. I want to yeah. echo what you're saying from the whole pastor position. Like I'm all about informed consent. And if you're going to give your life to God, know what you're giving, to be honest, like until yeah, you absolutely. own yourself and you know yourself, you can't give what you don't own. And I know a lot of times in evangelicalism, we're told we don't own ourselves, but like, that's the first step of maturity is like, Hey, this is who I am. This is what 
what I am. And I am now giving that over into a relationship with someone else. I am going to be reconciled to my family. I'm going to be reconciled to God. And like that process is a holy thing, but it does start with some self-knowledge. And that's not a bad thing. No, not at all. And I think that for so many of us, we wander through the world just sort of getting by, right? And we don't do the deep dive of figuring out who we are and what we really want. You know, there's just sort of an expectation that you do the mundane. But I don't think that you can really love another and tell, right, what is the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you can't love yourself, as RuPaul, the goddess of the world would say, if you can't love yourself, (laughs) how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? And so in loving another and loving my partner and loving my congregation, I have to first love myself and know how to love myself know how to hear the desires of my own heart and meet those needs so that I can hear them in another and walk alongside of them as they meet their needs. It's weird to say this, but that was one of Jeff and my first conversations. I remember a long time ago, Jeff being like, you have to be able to love yourself to love other people. And I disagreed vehemently with him. Oh, yeah, and I can't I even remember why. But I just I was I thought that was so wrong. You did. Like, we were really standing wrong. outside of Chili's. Your, your wife was working there. We were walking in to, to Chili's to like, you know, go eat dinner or whatever. And I remember having that conversation with you. I knew exactly where I was standing. I'm pretty sure it lasted through the meal and then back out the doors as well. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Alan. Yeah, probably. And three <laughs> days later. Uh-huh. Yep. All right. Well, uh, let us know what you think. If you have more questions about the Enneagram or you want more resources, we will put it in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 127. You can comment there. And as always, you can, of course, add your voice to this particular conversation also at the show notes at irenacast.com slash 127. And all the links and everything will be there. Casey, thank you for this. And I'm looking forward to the other side of the music where we're going to play a little round of Jesus Juke. And uh, Let's do it. <laughs> should be fun. So at this point, Jesus Juke is, is a staple of Ironicast. We've probably done this segment more than we have any other ones, and we particularly like to do it with guests who are a part of the the segment. You know, sometimes we just have straight up interviews, but whenever we have a guest co-host like Casey, we like to we like to bring this one out because it helps us get to know each other a little bit, lightens up the mood, and uh, unknowingly reveal our enneagram numbers in the process, even though we've already done that uh so i'm not gonna interrupt you (laughs) yeah if you want to know where this game came from you can listen to any other time we've done this segment where alan explains this and we're not gonna allow him to do it this time because it's pretty straightforward if you want the origins of this game go back and we'll put in the show notes other episodes where alan explained it endlessly and over and over again in repetition but maybe that's just your I don't know. <laughs> I think it's helpful. <laughs> nope. All right. So uh, so how this works, if you're listening to this for the first time, is each of us have come up with an, an item or a thing or an idea, and we have to present it to the other two hosts, and then they have to turn it into a sermon illustration. Uh, usually, we lean towards the like cheesy – you know, stuff you would hear in a, in our former evangelical context or, or it can be, you know, Putting whatever fun and fundy. Right. Yeah. So we, we try. I am to... so excited for this game. <laughs> <laughs> so we try to, we try to have fun with it. And, uh, this is probably one of my favorite segments that we've done this and, uh, uh, the, the title of the segment we have yet to rename Jesus or Jay-Z where we look at song lyrics and stuff like that. But I like the sound ones and Casey and I were talking about that the other day. About the guessing the sounds of the sound charades. Yeah. Or so, the, for those of you that don't know, I've uh, I've lost 165 pounds, and so the other night I was out uh, walking, jogging, uh, listening to your guys's last uh, podcast episode, uh, where Melanie, right, or Mel, Melody, Melody. Yeah. not Mel. Mona. I know, not right. Mona. The, the artist formerly like, known as Mona. That's right, the artist formerly known, and I'm like yelling, yelling on the street out loud. <laughs> Like yelling the answers. So I feel like next time I definitely want to do that one because I think right I will on. win. So perfect. That'll be fun. It's so hard to come up with sounds, though. I'm just going to say. Yeah, the sound trades one is, is That awesome. was hilarious. We'll that put a link really in the hilarious. show notes if you'd like to listen to that as well. Okay. So, Casey, since you are our guest, why don't you go ahead and present to us your first item to be Jesus juked? All right. My first item is a dry erase eraser, dry board eraser. Dry board eraser. I can go first. Okay. Okay. So in every classroom across America, when you walk in, you'll see some items that are just endemic to the classroom. 
for instance, you know, chairs and desks and um, a little apple on the teacher's desk up front. And you always see uh, when there's boards up front in front of the classroom that there is markers and there's dry erasers, no matter what, in every single classroom. Um, and uh, just like how there's always a dry eraser that you can use to wipe away the things you've been working on, uh, Jesus is always there in your oh, heart wow. somewhere, Here we just go. in everyone's heart, that when you are maybe caught your life up in such a way that you're working on all the wrong things. You're yes. going down the wrong path. Yes. All you have to do is pick up that dry eraser. Someone Preach. has to use it. You have to pick it up and you can wipe that stuff away. There you go. There Amen. it is. <laughs> all right. So we're all familiar with the dry erase board and we're all familiar with the dry eraser. We have the soft felt side that wipes away mistakes things that we have we regret putting up on the wall. And then there's the other side, the hard, rigid side, that if we tried to scratch across that board would ruin the canvas in which we display our lives. Oh, come on. And I just want to encourage you that as you approach the world, as you step into the spaces that you inhabit through your work, through your life, through your family, that you approach it with the soft felt side where you approach yes. people with love and compassion instead of aggression and hardness. <laughs> wow. I Look at that too coming out. <laughs> Allow God to nurture your soft side in everything you do. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that was good, guys. That was hilarious. Well, so you Jeff, have, you I have, have to, to give it to you. I know. Why does Jeff have to always A plus what I do? <laughs> I, that was so good. That was so good. I'm gonna I'm gonna come to the world with a softer side. I will there bury that with me today. <laughs> Expose the the belly of your spirit. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. All right. So I'll I'll go next. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna pit Casey versus Alan here. And the okay, item is go. a lens cap. It's a preaching championships. <laughs> a lens cap. I can go first or second. It's totally up to you, Casey. Please go first. Okay. Um, I've been around photography a little bit and know how cameras work. Um, I'm going to do the self-effacing pastor thing. I don't really know that much about technology, but I do know that you have to take care of it, that you can't just do anything you want with cameras because you might hurt them. And, uh, so I, I know that when you're using a camera, the lens is actually one of the most expensive parts. Is that right? Does anybody have cameras? Yes. Yes. Jeff, yes, you use very, cameras? Absolutely. Very and uh, and so when when you're not using them, it's very important that they're going to be exposed to light, uh, that it can damage them, that you need to put lens caps on to prevent dust and light and all kinds of things from scratching those lenses. And just like that, the the eyes of our soul that zoom in on things in the world – um, that we expose ourselves to, we must be very careful to put on the protection of Christ uh, <laughs> and use the lens cap of Jesus to protect us from things that might harm or scratch our soul that we might expose ourselves to. So it's very important to keep that in mind as we walk around in our lives. Amen. Amen. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, lens cap was kind of hard, but uh, here we go. So, um, whenever you use a camera to take pictures or to, uh, to capture moments that are beautiful, um, you, you zoom in, you take pictures. Uh, but what, would it work if you had the, the lens cap on? Of course it wouldn't, right? And so I think that there are things and places in our lives where, where we have allowed the lens cap to block us from seeing ourselves more clearly, Preach. seeing the world around us more clearly. And therefore, my invitation for you this morning, friends, is to take off the lens cap. Find the places in your life where you where you have blinded yourself, where you have not been able to see because you have blocked yourself from seeing the truth of your life, the truth of a world that is blossoming all around you. Amen. Amen. Let the light in. Amen. That's right. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to have to go with Alan on this one. 
And the reason is I feel like you committed to the character of the pastor who is using an example of something they know nothing about <laughs> to, <laughs> to express something. And I thought that, that that commitment and consistency to the character was was impressive, was impressive, Alan. So I'm going to give it to you. That's actually one of my biggest pet peeves are where pastors make statements about fields they know nothing about. And they're like, oh, so in physics, like – you know, physicists don't know what they're talking about or like, you know, <laughs> this expert doesn't know what they're talking about. It's like, dude, stay in your lane. It's <laughs> uh, so great. All right. All right, Alan, what's your, All right. uh, I'm going to give you tardy grade. Tardy grades are little tiny animals that look like bears, but they're super small and they can survive basically anything. They're one of the only animals that can survive the vacuum of outer space. And they're like microscopic and they look like little bears that, that move around. That is a nerdy ass example. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's awful. Hey, Tardy grades are awesome. Hey, there is nothing. You know what? Uh, I think it was, uh, geez, who said this? I knew it was a 15th century mystic who said, um, the whole, all creatures, if you looked at them from, if you, if you had the light inside of you, they would reflect, they would be mirrors of the divine. And they'd reflect God no matter how small they are. When you said so. Tardy grade, I was thinking like, how like your grade for your attendance at school <laughs> <laughs> for being tardy could have gone with that but a, a tardy grade all right no. little tiny microscopic bear oh man that Jeez. can survive anything that, that can, can survive, survive anything. anything freezing yeah anything the humble tardy grade <laughs> all right casey do you want to go or should i um i feel like i will go okay uh because so, but I, but you know, I just lost the first round. So I'm trying to figure out if, um, if like, am I trying to like mock an evangelical preacher? Is that what I'm doing here? You're or just am trying I to tra play that. You're trying to play to my preferences, like apples to apples. Like, oh, okay. what, what's yeah, going to resonate see. with me? Okay. Well, what, what's going to we'll appeal see. to Alan? All right. Well, here we go. So, tardy graves uh, can survive in any in any system. Alan was saying. I didn't even know what this was until like five seconds ago. So here we go. <laughs> um, I think that uh, as we look at tardigraves and we we know that they can survive anything, I would also say that uh, one of the one things one of the things that we are capable of is surviving situations. Um, that we live in a world that is full of destruction and tragedy that surrounds us all the time, um, and one of the things that as long as you're living that you have done at every moment of your life is survived. You have survived. I don't know. This is awful. So no, I'm just going to say, amen I'm actually because... now leaning in. <laughs> you just hooked me. <laughs> I was actually ready to be preached to. <laughs> I don't know. This is tardy. I was like, Casey, I've survived so much. How do you know? That's right. Alan, you totally have survived. And that's the good news, right? Is that, <laughs> No matter what happens in your life, that you will wander with God on this journey and you will make it. You will survive, just like a tardy grave. Um, your survival rate of everything you have gone through so far is 100%. Congratulations. You know what someone told me recently? They said uh, the only relationship that, that fails is one you don't make out of, make it out of. Yep, that's it's right. Pretty interesting. Okay, Jeff. All right. Your turn. We are told in the good book. That the three things that are eternal are faith, hope, and love. And I want to talk to you today about faith. Mm, come on, preacher. That's right. Come on. There's I'm this, so bad at this. There's this <laughs> thing <laughs> in the universe. It's called a tardy grade. And I'm not talking about being late to school. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I'm talking about the smallest organism in the universe that is eternal, <laughs> that will always be there, that nothing can destroy. And Jesus says, your faith is like a mustard seed, small, but strong, small, but everlasting, small, but will create something large and wonderful and beautiful in the long run. <laughs> and this, my friends, is how we should view our faith, something small and indestructible that will blossom into the everlasting love of the universe. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> oh, my God. I I don't see how uh, tardy grades blossom, but yeah, <laughs> the metaphor is, is pretty good. They they, they live in a <laughs> they, the they blossoming blossom. universe. They blossom in a blossoming universe. Um, I I I was gonna pick Jeff, but I think I have to go with Casey only because he spoke to me. I I felt my heart there. I was like, you know, 
the the evangelical side of me wasn't even necessarily with you, Jeff, but definitely I've survived a lot. Yes, I have, Pastor. You're so right. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with Casey, but those are both really good. Especially that for not fun. knowing what tardigrades were a minute ago. Trust me, they're the coolest, nerdiest thing you'll ever look into. Love it. Our tar- do uh, can just for clarification, Allie about uh, Alan about these these tardy grave things. <laughs> are they the things that look like little uncircumcised penises? <laughs> Probably. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Those are something. You know else. what I'm talking about? They're like microorganisms. Actually, they might be the ones you're talking about. Yeah, visual aid they might look have like changed. Little bears, though. <laughs> Just look up tardigrade. T-A-R-D-I-G-R-A-D-E. Look it up and tell me if that's what you're talking about. Because there's other ones that are t- that look like the uncircumcised penises you're talking about that I've seen. Yes, that's totally what they are. Yes, they look like little uncircumcised penises. <laughs> well, if I knew that, that would have changed the whole thing. <laughs> the right? whole thing. Right. The whole We could have talked about covenant and everything. We'd have gone Old Testament on that one. <laughs> that's no. right. The Everlasting Covenant. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that will do it for us this week. Casey, thank you so much for joining us and for co-hosting and giving us just a little sample of the Enneagram and and, and putting it into perspective for us. How can people find out what you have going on? How can people contact you? Um, Yeah, so you can uh, follow me at Twitter at The Queerly Faithful Pastor, or you can check out my blog, which is thequeerlyfaithfulpastor.com, or my church website, loomisucc.org. Sounds good. Alan, how about you? What? How can people... Always Facebook. Rev Alan O'Brien uh, slash Rev Alan O'Brien. Look me up. And also, I, I just look, just want to say I'm looking forward to Casey eventually coming back on here and maybe bringing the other Intersections team, uh, Bonnie, who's a six, Raj, who's an eight, and talking about the other sides of the Enneagram and spending time with those. Because Casey, this was helpful, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm happy to come on anytime, guys. I also have a Rev Casey Tenen Facebook, so you can check me out there as well. But thank you for your time today, guys, and I would love to come on anytime. Well, you're always welcome. The door's always open. Um, as for me, you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Manildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to my other podcast, Divine Cinema at divinecinema.net. Uh, as for Irenicast, don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. Uh, we're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. You can also fill out our listener survey at Irenicast.com. Slash survey. The information you give us is super helpful for us as we move forward and continue to evolve the show. That's irenacast.com slash survey. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm a two, and not just on the hotness scale. <laughs> and I'm Casey. Thanks for joining the conversation. 